You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code PLAY for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. Thank you for listening to the Font Your Fire podcast. If you are anything like the Font Your Fire team and I, you are all about creating and consuming intentional content. I mean content that has the power to change the way that you view yourself or change your industry altogether. Well, we want to be intentional about the content we're creating here at Flaunt Your Fire and on the show. So I'm going to encourage you to leave us a rating and written review. And in that review, let us know what you want to hear more of here on the podcast. We take your reviews into consideration with every episode being created. Don't know how to do that? I'm going to encourage you to head on over to flauntyourfire.com slash rate. Again, that's flauntyourfire.com slash rate. And there you will find pictures and written instructions that give you the technical how to leave us a rating and review no matter what podcast app you're listening from. All right, you know what time it is. It is time to get this show on the road. Screw the template, own your values, and amplify your influence. This is the Flaunt Your Fire podcast, where we defy stale marketing advice and own our power. I'm your host and CEO of Flaunt Your Fire, India Jackson. And if you're new here, welcome. If you're a regular here, thank you. One of the things that we talk about a lot at Flaunt Your Fire is brand values. We view brand values as the foundation for everything else. It's really the initial starting place when you are looking at your brand, whether it's a brand as an individual, like a personal brand, you're an influencer, or you have a large business and you're looking to build that business brand. The values are the foundation. And I think it is so important to move from implicit values to explicit values, meaning those values are carried through in everything that you do. And it is really obvious to anyone who would encounter your brand to know what your values are. With that said, one of our values here at Flaunt Your Fire is connection. And my team and I, we view connection as an opportunity to provide access to others who don't have the same because we see our platform as a privilege. We also are driven to amplify the voices of others. 
with that privileged in that platform. And in that, it really allows us the opportunity to take things that may be invisible to others and make them visible. And so when you pair that with the fact that within Pause and the Play of the Community, um, one of the things that we're able to do, our members are able to do, is to select a cause that they are dedicating themselves to being an ally for. And I personally have selected my cause to be violence. Um, and specifically, I focused in on sexual violence as a sexual violence survivor myself. Um, then it just makes complete sense that it's important for me to provide space to give visibility for causes related to that. And one of those causes is an organization called Safe House Project. So I will be talking with um, Safe House Project in this episode, as well as being joined by my co-host Erica Corday for that. And I want to give you a bit of a warning that we will be specifically discussing spotting reporting and preventing human trafficking in our own communities and this conversation will include the sex trafficking of children so if that is something that would trigger you or discussions of this nature um, or something you're not quite ready to have please take care of yourself i'm going to be providing a brief moment to pause so that you can have a moment to go and pause the episode If you're still here, I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for being present for this discussion. It's so important and it can completely create change. And the reason I say that is I learned from Brittany that one of the most important ways we can create change in the world of human trafficking and specifically child sex trafficking is by knowing exactly what to look for and knowing how to report it. This is one of those situations where using your voice can literally save someone's life. So thank you. And I'm sure by now you're like, who's Brittany? So I want to tell you all about my amazing guest today, Brittany Dunn. Brittany Dunn has the honor of helping lead Safe House Project as a chief operations officer. Prior to the nonprofit Safe House Project, Brittany Dunn spent 10 years in international business development at careerbuilder.com, working around the world. Brittany Dunn has a Bachelor's of Art in Economics and English from Wesley College, and she has her MBA and graduated at the top of her class from Thunderbird School of Global Management. She's a military spouse, a mother of two, a continual learner, a world traveler, and a protector of the vulnerable. Without any further delay, let's get this episode started. Welcome to the show, Brittany and Erica. I am so glad you're both here with me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, I like being here, so I'm cool. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a really big topic, um, and I'm hoping that this conversation today, you're able to kind of guide us through what does it look like or what is necessary and needs to shift in order to shed more light on human trafficking. 
Um, and I'm just wondering, you've have so much experience in running this organization and you've done incredible things um, to just kind of guide us through some of what those challenges might look like for you in particular. Yeah, of course. Uh, it has definitely been a year that has, I think, been one of a lot of opportunities, but of course, a lot of challenges. And so uh, when we launched Safe House Project, it was the beginning of 2018, and it was really in response to the fact that we were seeing the statistics from Health and Human Services, the DOJ, that you know hundreds of thousands of American children are trafficked every year in the United States, but that survivor identification is only at 1%. And so when we founded it, we said, okay, um, what happens when that 1% is identified? And we were shocked to realize that there were only 100 beds in long-term restorative care homes for these kids who had endured truly the darkest part of humanity. And from that, you know, our mission was born. It's twofold, to increase survivor identification above 1% and to increase safe housing for these kids to really receive the holistic care that they need to not only just survive, but to truly thrive. And so when we first launched, we were able to help add 32 new beds to the national landscape in 2019. And we were really excited about the opportunities that 2020 were going to hold. But of course, everybody's world changed in March. And so a lot of this year for us has been, how do we get super creative and innovate what survivor care looks like in America with the lack of um, resources that we expected to be there? And so um, my co-founder, Christy Wells, and I have really spent a lot of meaningful time this year trying to unpack what is the future of the human trafficking industry? How do we make sure that survivor voices are at the front and leading that and that ultimately we're able to serve as many individuals on a given year that we can? And so um, one of the big initiatives we took on this year was working with an organization out of Utah called the Maloof Foundation to take our in-person training that we had delivered to over 10,000 people last year and bringing that into the online space. And so uh, in September, we launched the OnWatch platform. It is available at IamOnWatch.org, but really it's out there to help empower community members to spot, report, and prevent trafficking where they live, work, and play. Because I think what COVID has taught us more than anything is that we have to come together to really see these kids because the situation isn't always going to be what it appears. And right now there's a lot of kids trapped in unsafe homes. I want to acknowledge something you said there. You mentioned where they live, work, and play. And I think very often people forget to seek out or kind of identify things that maybe, you know, don't quite feel right or are signs of these types of things in certain places because, oh, of course they're not here. They wouldn't be here. And so I think that there are some opportunities to possibly help you know, some of the people that need it by really acknowledging that these signs and, and signals can show up anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have kids who, you know, we've had cases during COVID where we're getting reports of kids youngest too. And so I think okay. we have to throw out any of the preconceived notions we have around what trafficking looks like or can look like and really, um, explore how it has woven itself into the fabric of our nation. 
when we realize that child sexual abuse has always been part of um, our culture, it's one of the underbelly things. But once we can admit that, then we can understand that child trafficking is really just the um, evolution of child sexual abuse in America. It is merely the commercial element of child sexual abuse. And so we have to be willing to step into a hard conversation and really sit with kids and try to be present in their lives when they are in the worst places. And so that's really, that's a hard thing to do. I'm not going to say this is an easy conversation or it's not one that, you know, doesn't take a little bit of grit to do, but, but if we don't do it, it just allows these kids to continue to, um, to really be burdened by somebody else's actions. One of the things that you said is that it's not an easy conversation, and I'm definitely going to agree with you on that. And I think that when we have things that need to be talked about and need to be shared, but there's this resistance or this discomfort, or it's been deemed as taboo, it can prevent getting the information in front of the people who can do the most help and support the most. One of the things that I'm really grateful for is that both Erica and I have people in our network that do give back components as a part of their work with us and on their own within their businesses. And I'm just wondering um, from your perspective, like what are some things that we can begin to do to start bringing this conversation and start bringing your cause and causes like yours to the forefront? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that one of the best steps that anybody can take is really taking the on-watch training. We don't go into the deepest, darkest parts. It's not about what happens behind closed doors because we all have an imagination and don't really need to go there, to be honest. But what we do need to understand is from the perspective of the survivor, when did they intersect community members who could have seen something and said something when it felt off? And so education really precedes action. And so that's where I think everybody needs to start is with stepping into it just enough to say, I'm willing to learn and see this issue differently. I'm willing to throw out my belief that this only happens in third world countries or that it only happens to certain kids in our community, or it only happens to those people. And really acknowledge that it happens in a lot of different communities to a lot of different kids. And at the end of the day, we all have the ability to help end that cycle of victimization. And so what OnWatch is, is it's a, it takes less than one hour. It's 10 modules. They're less than five minutes each. So you could break it into multiple days or sittings. And it really walks through um, from a survivor's perspective, what were those reportable trafficking observations that somebody could have seen, and then gives you information on how to report it. It is the first survivor written training of this scale in the country. And so we're just thrilled to be able to walk alongside survivors who were willing to put their story out there in hopes and in um, really in hopes of that other people did not um, end up in the same situation that they were in. So I do think that's a first step for anyone or any business. We have our on-watch certification process for companies, and that's a great way to get involved. 
but then it's turning that awareness into action and deciding what it is that you can do to impact change where you live, work, and play. And so we have Safe House Partners. We are working to accelerate Safe House capacity throughout the United States. And um, we do a ton of direct service care, helping place individuals into these long-term programs. And so there's various ways that you can get involved. But um, I think part of it is just starting with that first step of really opening your eyes and to a hard issue and stepping into it and that the empathy builds from there. So you mentioned something um, around the fact that it's, you know, the training is coming from kind of the survivor standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason that that's important here is, you know, number one, flaunt your fire really doesn't approach things in the standard way. And I think to mention that this is coming from the survivor standpoint just points out the fact that this isn't normally what this looks like. So if people have possibly done things previously around this or, you know, had learning around it, like what makes this different so that they also understand that it's not like, oh, yeah, I already know I don't need to do this. Like what does make this different? That is the reason why they should listen to be able to hear this from the survivor's standpoint. Yes, absolutely. As all of our survivors said, you know, I was seen by many, I was ignored by most, and I was saved by one on Watch Trains Heroes. And I think what's hard about a lot of trainings that are out there is that they're a laundry list of signs and indicators. But without context, it's very hard to understand when you apply certain signs and indicators in a variety of scenarios. And so the on-watch training goes through what does it look like when you're dealing with familial trafficking of a child under the age of 10? And how does that look different than somebody who is trafficked as the result of a boyfriending scenario, you know, when they're a teen or a young adult? And so you see it through all these different lenses, but then you're also shown, well, what are the vulnerabilities that make an individual um, more susceptible to predatory behavior. And so we walk through instances of grooming techniques being deployed in the gaming console and how technology or sexting is being used to blackmail these kids. And so really, it's not only a training that will help us spot um, survivors of trafficking, But in the long run, it should really be a tool that's used to help prevent trafficking, which is the ultimate goal. I want to be put out of a job because we're all on watch to help prevent trafficking before it gets to the point that somebody is, um, you know, has to be identified. I am totally here for that and agree with you. Same. I was like, oh, yes, out of a job for that reason is like, please, please. Yes. One of the things um, that I really took away from getting to meet you in person is getting to hear some of the layers of what happens, um, especially with teenagers after they have gone through the process of, you know, being human trafficked. And there's just a lot um, of healing to happen and also... um, society can kind of put certain things on them. Um, And I'm wondering if you can shed some light onto what that looks like Mm -hmm. and why these additional services and why a safe house is so important. Yeah, of course. I was actually talking to a friend the other day and she 
gave a beautiful analogy on this. She said, you know, my sister uh, just finished up her chemo treatments and everybody's celebrating the fact that she's in remission. And she said, as exciting as that is, she goes, I think we sometimes forget unless you've had, you know, cancer that there is all of these steps after chemo that hurt and that still have pain and that still remind you of what you've been through. And there's still healing to be done even when that last chemo session happens. So I liked that because it's kind of similar with trafficking in its own very different, weird way. Um, You have that moment of escape or exit from a trafficking situation, but the story doesn't end then. If anything, it's really the beginning because at that moment, you have an individual who's coming into care who in that first 24 to 72 hours just has to be surrounded with a safe place to maybe sleep for the first time in weeks. You know, they need a hot meal and nutrition because that may have not been given to them during that situation. And then you just want them to be able to feel like the people that are surrounding them in that first little stretch are there to keep them safe and meet their basic needs. But that's just that very initial step. Once they move into that, you know, more stabilization period or that long-term restorative care home, that's when the hard work begins because you're going through therapy, you're working on processing what you have endured as an individual, you're working on education um, goals. You know, some of these kids, like we have one, she was trafficked from the age of 10 to 13. She was pulled out of school. You know, she was trafficked through the day and she was trafficked by her grandmother. And so it's recovering so much, that feeling, that loss of family, that loss of education, that loss of personal boundaries. And you're having to help somebody re-knit together or maybe put together for the first time ever all of those pieces of their world. And so whether it's therapy, life skill training, education, medical rec- or medical attention, or just that supportive environment where they feel loved for the first time, that takes a long time to work through. And so these restorative care homes, they really provide that small home-like environment where somebody can, can really start on a new path. And it is incredible to watch these individuals come in. And when they first come in, you know, they'll be pulling their sleeves down or their, yeah, their sleeves down over their hands or pulling that hoodie over, just being very closed and reserved. But over time, they start to open up and you can see not just their heart opening up, but their mind and the opportunity to believe that their future can look different than their past. Uh, that's so powerful to just take us through that. Um, I know a large part of what Eric and I talk about is privilege, and it's mm-hmm. definitely like clear to me that it is a privilege to be able to use your voice and to not have the concerns that some of these kids have. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to think that the things that most of us hope that we can take for granted in that we're safe with family and that you know, we don't have to worry in that way that, you know, these, 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 these children cannot do that. You know, even the individuals as an adult that, you know, think I'm with a partner, I'm someone that I can trust and it doesn't happen that way. And so I think it's so easy 
to just think, oh, it's not a thing. I don't have to worry about this. It's not a problem. This is something that isn't here. Having to really turn that on its head and, and acknowledging that it doesn't look the way that we were programmed to believe that it did and that it's even more important to be vigilant for things that seem like they're, they're, they're subtle, you know, oh, you know, that's not really a big thing, like really acknowledging it and truly claiming what it is and that you can save someone. Yeah. And to the point of the adults, you know, we focus heavily on trying to accelerate safe house capacity for the minors because we know the sooner we can stop the cycle of victimization, the better off they're going to be. But, you know, safe housing and the restorative care side of trafficking response is relatively new. And so you have so many adults who have been victims of trafficking who desperately need services as well. A lot of the survivors that we walk alongside every day is survivor mentors or with through survivor internships or programs on that side. Those are all adults who, you know, they need somebody there to be in their corner and rooting for them just as much as these kids. And so my biggest privilege is walking alongside these adult survivors and reminding them that, you know, you have value, dignity, and worth. And yes, going to work is harder than it is for somebody else. Or yes, paying your bills can be more challenging, but you are, you are getting up every day. And sometimes that might be the biggest win of your day. And then there's other days where you are sharing your story or you are out there as a police officer or as a healthcare worker or as a counselor or whatever their job is now, and you are being the eyes and ears of the community because you are wanting to protect that next generation from victimization. And so I love the opportunity to support our adult survivors and whatever their calling is because they are the only true experts in this. That you know, anybody I anybody in the industry, unless they are a survivor, cannot claim to be an expert because only one group has that lived experience. And so my goal in everything we do is to facilitate opportunities for survivors to achieve whatever dream or goal it is that they and calling that they feel like they have on their life. Also, just it's one of those things that I think for whatever reason stands out to me and that I think whenever I would think about things like this or, or hear about it growing up, it was very much based in the word victim and mm-hmm. hearing you speak about it in the sense of survivor and what you survived and, and what you are now in the place of seeking healing and, you know, what being whole and moving forward in your life can can and will look like for you. I think it is such an empowering place to remind them that they can have access to this when they're ready, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that process looks like for them. Because again, that uh, I, it, everything was always around victim. Yeah. Yes. There is a lot of victim centered language out there and it really needs to be adjusted because even if we're talking sometimes about those who are still in their trafficking situation, they are still out there surviving every single day. And that's that's important to remember. Like we have to acknowledge that sometimes they don't know the way out yet. And that's the importance of community members being aware because they might need that facilitated exit. But 
they're surviving the best way they know how. So how can we celebrate survivors of trafficking the same way that we celebrate survivors of breast cancer? How can we acknowledge that they have overcome something that they never asked to endure? And I think if we switch the language from being victim-centered to being survivor-centered and really showing their strength and the community that that group has to overcome, you will find that you are dealing with some of the most resilient and loyal and generous and kind individuals who honestly are looking to belong and want friendship and want to be part of a community holistically and not have their past even define the relationships that they're currently in. And so how can we just be friends to people? How can we um, show empathy? How can we listen to people's trials and walk alongside one another, you know, in a really shoulder to shoulder way? Because I think that's when we empower somebody else's path is when we come alongside and there to catch them in the fall, but also there to celebrate those victories. I think that's so powerful because it also kind of goes back to one of our messages about taking the time to see people and see them clearly and support them just because, and I know that a lot of the listeners here are business owners, um, but I think it's important to do these things because it's the thing to do, because it's the human way of being. Um, And as I think about that, I am wondering that if there were one thing that you would leave people with from listening to this conversation, knowing that they do have a platform where they can share and amplify visibility of their own, what would you want them to do or know? It's always a great question. I think the first step is that it is, it's the on-watch training. It's that education precedes action and that we all have something else we can learn. But I think the other side of that too is that especially as we all work to come back together, hopefully in 2021, we don't know the shoes that somebody else has walked in over the past year, especially. And so how can we all be a little bit more aware and attuned to the needs of those around us to really work to say, do you need help? Is there somebody I can help refer you to our services? And, um, Try to recognize those who maybe were trapped in an unsafe situation because I think that friendship and trust building is a huge part of the survivor journey. And so I just encourage everybody to try to be that safe place. Ultimately, our goal is to build safe houses for the ones that we um, get to support, but to also be a safe house in our own community. Brittany, Erica, and I thank you so much for being here for listening, for taking in this conversation as we navigate increasing and amplifying the visibility for something that can feel so invisible. I encourage you, just as Brittany does, to head on over to IamOnWatch.org and complete the OnWatch training so that you can learn what to be on watch for and potentially help someone else feel seen, heard, and supported. Thank you in advance for taking the time to complete the free training, and I will see you on the next episode.
Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?